The United States is facing an unprecedented moment in this year's elections with the oldest presidential candidates in the nation's history expected on the ballot. President Joe Biden's 81, his presumed Republican challenger, former President Donald Trump is 77 years old. No matter who wins in November, it's likely the U.S. will have its oldest president ever. The issue of age got new attention earlier this month after the release of a report on Biden's handling of classified information. The report described the president as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Biden pushed back. I'm well-meaning and I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president. I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. That's How totally bad out. is your memory and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. Donald Trump has had some of his verbal gaffes come under scrutiny, and at a rally in Nevada last month, he told the crowd he's fine. Tell you what, I feel sharper now than I did 20 years ago. I really do. I don't know. It's probably not true. And I think anybody running for president should take an aptitude or a cognitive test. Polls show Americans are worried about the age of the presumptive candidates. In a recent Quinnipiac poll, more than half of the voters surveyed said they're concerned about the age of both men. So how old is too old to be president? Many of our listeners have weighed in on this. Douglas from Columbus, Ohio, left us a message. He's an 80-year-old retired physician who says after a certain age, his stamina was affected. I retired at 75 because I did not have the vigor to last the whole workday. I think that President Biden is too old to continue as president because it's an extraordinarily demanding job. I can't see how anybody in his age group has the vigor to remain sharp for the length of time that he would have to for his second term. I think Donald Trump is also too old, plus he has other issues that I think uh, make him an inappropriate president. We also heard from Daryl from Marshall, Minnesota. He says age is just a number. I took care of my grandfather until he was 97 years old, and he was just as sharp on the day he died as he was as a young man that I remember. I think it all depends on the person, and each person has to be judged uh, on a case-by-case basis. So how do we judge the effects of aging? Can we? I'm Deborah Becker, in for Magna Chakrabarty, and this is On Point. Today we'll spend the hour trying to understand what happens to our brains as we age. Joining us from Los Angeles is Zaldi Tan. He's a practicing physician and director of the Cedars-Sinai Health System Memory and Aging Program and the Goldrich Center for Alzheimer's and Memory Disorders. He's also a professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Zaldi, welcome to On Point. Hello, Deborah. Thank you for having me. So I guess I want to start by saying, you know, how do you assess someone's cognition? Like, what should we be thinking about as we are having this conversation about age? Uh, First, more broadly, and then we'll talk about uh, political candidates. So when you think about assessing someone's cognitive abilities, it really depends on the context, right? So as a physician practicing and specializing in memory disorders, what I typically ask the patient and uh, the collateral informant, uh, which is typically an adult child or the spouse, is what has changed, right? We all have different baselines. 
And there is massive inter-individual differences in terms of cognition and um, intellectual abilities and other cognitive abilities. So the important thing is, has there been a change? And that's the, the, the key uh, information that I need and I think everyone should be aware of. So for example, if someone um, is, uh, has been very poor with names even when uh, they were younger, and then add in cognitive aging to that, wherein there is decrease in sensory perception, decrease in processing speed, um, then and that that may be uh, more problematic as you get older, whereas uh, it was just an inconvenience when you were younger. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of things that you I ask about. And of course, there are, you know, uh, sort of um, uh, unmistakable signs of uh, of memory problems, like you know, forgetting to pick up a grandchild from school when they've been doing this for uh, years, or um, getting lost while driving in a familiar place. Mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of things are kind of more obvious, but sort of the earlier um, stages of memory issues versus uh, normal cognitive aging is not so easy to distinguish. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned context, and I think. Uh, there's a lot going on here when we're talking about this, especially in terms of candidates running for really important jobs, right? You've got the stress of a campaign, uh, and you're talking about going into probably a, a job that uh, is one of the most stressful that you could possibly hold. So I guess, you know, we have to think about that. We're evaluating people who are who are in this sort of real uh, chaotic kind of high pressure campaigning all the time. Uh, and of course, pre the President Biden's also running the White House. But also, uh, folks have brought up that you need to think about the candidate's medical history, what medications they might be on, and their background. And, you know, we heard uh, from listeners, many listeners about this. Everyone knows about aging, of course, because we're all doing it. But Alan from Somerville, Massachusetts, called and brought up this about President Biden. Let's listen. When discussing aging with respect to Joe Biden, we do need to pull in the context that he had a stutter growing up. And one of the ways that he learned to overcome that stutter was by just replacing a noun with another noun. That's a common way to get over a stutter. He's been mixing up names his whole life. When he mixes up names, that's not entirely to do with his age. So, all the time, what do you think about that? Is that one of the things that you were talking about when you said we need to think about context when we're trying to determine exactly what someone's cognitive state is? And how does this trying to overcome a stutter affect someone's uh, cognition and, and the appearance of their cognitive abilities? Surely, if uh, someone has a baseline or um, a longstanding speech impediment, that certainly should be taken into consideration um, when uh, someone is observed to be uh, mistaking words, for example. You know, the, the with age, typically speech and language functions remains largely intact, but obviously if they have a baseline speech impediment, that's not gonna go away. And cor it's correct that uh, some of these may become more uh, problematic or more uh, noticeable as you get older because Vocabulary and speech is only one of the cognitive domains. Remember that um, when you think about cognition and um, and uh, your brain and, and thinking, it's really several cognitive domains. It's attention, it's memory, it's executive function, language, visuospatial abilities. So these all will have to um, uh, be in tip-top shape in order to uh, do any um, 
challenging task. So if any of these fail, or if you are started with um, a weakness in any of these domains, this will manifest in a different way. A good example will be attention. Like for example, when you get older, simple attention, where if I ask you to remember, let's say, five digits, three, eight, nine, four, three. That usually is okay um, and, and doesn't decline with age, but complex attention or divided attention tends to decrease or become more compromised with age. So for example, if someone is uh, driving while listening to music and 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 um, and watching out for that exit sign, exit uh, in the freeway, that could become a compromise. They might miss that exit because of the divided attention. In the same way, if I have a speech issue to begin with, and then I'm distracted by uh, uh, lights, camera lights, or you know someone um, in the background, then that could bring out uh, some of the weaknesses will become more prominent. Hmm. So, is it sort of more multitasking can be more challenging to an aging brain? Is that is that what you're saying or? Yes, uh, multitasking is considered part of executive function. Executive function is our um, brain's ability to plan, sequence uh, things, problem solve. So that could become um, a compromise as you get older. And then, so multitasking is a combination of executive function and um, divided attention, right? Mm -hmm. So your ability to focus on multiple tasks simultaneously such as, for example, if you're walking an obstacle course and answering questions, if you try that, I think you, you a lot of us will find it a bit challenging. Uh, and of course, if there were multiple things that someone has to keep track of at the same time, that can uh, be very challenging for anyone. But of course, as you get older, that becomes more compromised. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned assessing someone, speaking with their loved ones, asking them if they have new challenges doing tasks that previously weren't challenging, right? But um, I really wonder, uh, because I, I'm really good at denial, Zaldi. Like, I wonder how you know you have reliable narrators here and objective observers by which to make the assessments of of someone's cognitive ability. I, I'm sure many people probably think they're fine, uh, and they, they may, in fact, have a problem. Uh, and even their loved ones may want to believe that as well. So how do you kind of cut through that and make sure that you're getting at the truth? That's a very good point, Deborah. You know, when people see me in my clinic, um, you know, typically it's either someone is uh, what we call worried well, wherein they are independent, they're doing quite well in their day-to-day -day activities, but, you know, they are uh, it's taking them a while to come up with with a name of a, a person that they think they should uh, remember their name when they meet them in the supermarket, for example. Um, so, so benign things like that, or um, it's someone who, absolutely convinced that uh, there's nothing wrong with their memory, but uh, their wife or their um, adult son or daughter is dragging them into the clinic and, and then they're unhappy about it. So denial is a very powerful thing on both um, in, in both uh, directions, right? Mm. So, you know, for people who I've seen this in, for example, in adult children, when their parent, let's say, is living alone and they come into the home and they see food that is expired and they you know they they see that the, the house is unkempt and they see piles of uh, mail um, or unpaid bills it's easy to blame that or to attribute that to getting older or their vision is not so great maybe they're just not that motivated as they used to because now they're retired 
But that can also be a sign that uh, the patient is uh, or the person is starting to fail cognitively. Okay, they're well, not able to keep up with their day-to-day things. Right. Well, we'll, so that's we'll important to keep note. Yeah. We'll we'll finish uh, we'll finish talking about this. So we just have to take a break at the moment. We're talking about our brains and how aging affects us mentally. Hold on for a moment. I'm Deborah Becker. This is on point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Deborah Becker. We're talking about our brains and aging, what happens to our memory, our cognition, and what should we consider as we think about presidential candidates like Joe Biden and Donald Trump. A lot of you, our listeners, have weighed in on this uh, and their opinions about aging and the candidates. We heard from Joyce from East Falmouth, Mass., and she thinks we should have younger presidential candidates. Here's what she said. I can see Joe Biden almost fading every time you see him. And I just worry. I don't know why we don't have something in place to have somebody younger running. And yet Barbara from Los Angeles, California, left us a voicemail and said, you know what, age means wisdom. When I make decisions, I have the benefit of 50 years of experience and 50 years of results. Um, from those experiences to draw upon. So I don't have to churn information and wondering uh, whether or not an uh, option is good or bad. I have a plethora of, of memories to go back and compare similar situations to and say, oh, well, this was the outcome in that instance, and these are the things that led to that. And that. So therefore, I can say with some authority that this might be a good choice for me. All right. And joining us to talk about this is Zaldi Tan. He's a practicing physician and director of the Cedars-Sinai Health Systems Memory and Aging Program and the Goldrich Center for Alzheimer's and Memory Disorders. He's also a professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And and I'm wondering, Zaldi, when you hear those very differing viewpoints about uh, I, I want the experience and wisdom that age can bring, no, I'm concerned about age and and about uh, you know vitality uh, in a leader. Uh, what do you say to folks? Do you say is it is it just a number and it really depends, or or how how would you uh, characterize uh, your description of the aging brain to folks? So Deborah, when I think about the aging brain, where I talk to people about aging brain, I, I emphasize to them that not everything 
uh, is sensitive to age-related changes. So for example, cumulative knowledge, experiential skills, these are well-maintained even into advanced age. Um, certain aspects of memory are stable for, uh, for even as you get older. Um, you know, although new learning, for example, uh, there's be, there could be more problems and some decline of retrieval of newly learned information. Um, that that can be changed. That that can change with age. But there's a lot of things that do not change, and in fact are are relatively stable. Of course, you can't um, can't uh, minimize experience and wisdom, um, and of course, pe 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 uh, person's principles and and etc. Do not change with age. However. There are things that do change with age, such as uh, your ability to quickly process or transform um, an information to make a decision. Uh, so basically tasks that require speed of um, information processing can uh, decline with age. So what I tell people is, what is the job? What does the job entail? Does it require speed of information processing and thinking? Certainly if you're giving a press conference that is required, but is that um, an essential um, role uh, for for um, for the president of the United States, or is it more important the other qualities that do not change with age? Is that more important? So I think you have to put things put things again in context. Mm -hmm. So so tell us what's happening. Let's talk about some of the science and what we know about what's going on in the brain as we age. What do what are the differences between you know a three year old brain and a thirty year old brain and a seventy year old brain? What have we been able to measure? So when you think about the brain, uh, it's really a life course. It's really uh, growth and development, and then and stability and then um, a slow, slow decline. Uh, but in, in the normal cognitive aging, the decline should be slow and subtle enough that it should not affect your performance of day-to-day -day tasks or even your job. In the past several decades, we've learned so much about the brain uh, growth and development thanks to uh, cognitive science, but also because of the structural um, information from uh, brain MRIs, for example, that we uh, are able to look at um, gray matter volume, um, uh, connectivity of the different uh, parts of the brain, the prefrontal, mediotemporal, parietal cortices. We also have more information about white matter connectivity between um, different parts of the brain. And of course, we have the cognitive science of aging. One, uh, the, an important concept, I think, for everyone to remember is that um, we all have different baselines. And there's these concepts of uh, three important concepts that I, I'm just gonna briefly discuss. First is reserve. Reserve or brain reserve or cognitive reserve is your, your accumulation of brain resources during your lifespan. For example, education is known to, um, to build brain reserves so that people who are well-educated or have a lot of formal education or remain cognitively stimulated during late life um, are less likely to develop dementia and other age-related changes. That's reserve. There's also maintenance. Maintenance is the preservation of these resources. Um, and 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 you know, if you're even if your brain reserves, for example, are not the greatest, but you're you're living a healthy lifestyle and you're maintain, maintaining maintaining uh, whatever you got, then that's a good thing as well. And then compensation. Compensation is the deployment of resources in response to demands uh, on, on your cognition. 
So all these things are at play um, and will affect someone's performance uh, in, in any task as you get older, hmm. reserve, compensation, and maintenance. And the other thing I want to mention is inter-individual variability is massive in terms of cognition. Hmm. There are 80-year-olds who would uh, outperform 40-year-olds in certain tasks. And within between 80-year-olds, there will there could be massive differences in terms of what they're able to do, again, because of differences in their brain reserves, mm. in their maintenance, and in their ability to compensate. So then in, in actual physical, <laughs> the actual physical brain, do you see a difference? I mean, maybe we don't see it and we, we don't, we're not perceiving it. But say, for example, is there a difference in gray matter or is there a difference in white matter connectivity as folks age? And we're still sort of learning about what exactly that means and and how it might present itself uh, to be visible to others. I mean, is that, do we do we know that? Oh, absolutely. Um, so uh, if you show me an MRI of, um, uh, you know, for example, uh, a 30-year-old and an 80-year-old, I could tell you uh, very, very quickly uh, which one is which. And the reason is because just like our muscles, just like uh, the rest of our um, uh, organs, the brain does experience um, structural aging. So we have talked about cognitive aging um, uh, at this uh, up to this point. And then when you talk about structural aging, this is things that you can see, right? So when you get an MRI of an 80-year-old, you'll see that there is a age-related decrease in total cerebral volume, we call it. Um, there is an enlargement of the ventricles, which are the part of the brain in the center where, where we make spinal fluid. In certain cases, even the hippocampus, which is the short-term memory center of our brain, uh, shrinks. But it's a question of how much shrinkage, right? If there is focal, for example, when we say focal hippocampal atrophy, that's a sign of Alzheimer's disease. So there are certainly changes in the aging brain uh, compared to younger. Mm-hmm. So we do see it. Uh, and and do we know uh, for certain that some of that shrinkage or change in physical structure has certain effects on how the brain functions? For, you know, does it not, does it compromise someone's uh, executive function or other ability if, if there are these physical changes in the structure? Yes, there is a correlation. So for example, if someone has what we call white matter changes, um, and in the MRI, which is a sign of chronic small vessel disease. That's essentially um, uh, showing that there's a, there's a problem with, with sort of the cables that uh, the white matter, we call it, mm-hmm. that uh, transmit information um, from one um, part of the brain to another. You can see um, a, a slowing of, uh, of thinking and processing in these people, retrieval of information becomes very, um, can be challenging for these people. And we test this in the clinic by having them, let's say, uh, remember a name and address of um, of a person. Uh, And then uh, five minutes later, you know, having them uh, repeat the name and address. And sometimes they would confuse which state it was or or what the street number is. So that's uh, that could be a, a correlated with changes, structural changes in the brain. Mm-hmm. When we talk about, we've talked a lot about memory, right? Uh, I wonder, there are so many other things, though, that our brains obviously control. Um, explain uh, briefly, because I, I know you know people spend many years studying this, but I wonder if you could explain briefly sort of how to look at the complex systems that the brain 
overseas and how you take that into account when you're considering whether someone is facing some sort of mental decline because of aging. You know, there are a lot of other things besides memory, right? That's correct. I, I, usually, I give an example. For example, if you are at, at, a, at a, a party and, um, you know, you, you meet somebody, uh, maybe, you know, his name is, her name is Mary, let's say. Uh, so when you meet with Mary and you, you talk to her for five minutes and she tells you what she do, she does and, um, you know, where she's from and you're in a room full of people. Right. So your attention has to be your attention abilities, which is one of the cognitive functions, has to be intact, specifically divided attention, which is your ability to focus on um, on the, the, inf the information that Mary's transmitting to you. That's also called selective attention. That has to be intact. And that can get compromised as you get older. Of course, we didn't even talk about sensory perception, right? So if I'm uh, trying to listen to Mary talk and I have a bit of, um, of hearing loss, then that could compromise the information that my brain has access to. But let's say your hearing is intact. Uh, you hear everything that Mary says. It goes into your hippocampus, which is your short-term memory center. Um, your brain has to trans to to um, encode that, right? Encode it and store it somewhere in your brain, and be able to retrieve it later on, so that when you see Mary in the supermarket a week from now, and she says, "Oh, hi, it's you," and I'm like, "Who is this lady?" Um, I, I would be happy be able to retrieve that and remember. Memory is also, um, uh, there's also different types of memory. There's procedural memories, like my ability to drive to the supermarket and back home. Um, visual memory, my ability to to see Mary's face and recognize the pattern. And then there is the uh, verbal memory, which is, you know, coming up with uh, Mary's name. So all of this need to be intact, even in that very simple cognitive task of remembering someone that you met from uh, a party a week ago. So if any of those fail, then I will not remember who she is because I wasn't paying attention uh, or my attention was compromised, even if I tried to pay attention, or if the Mary's uh, memory, her face, her name never made it to my long-term memory because I have a hippocampal uh, issue or problem because I'm starting to have Alzheimer's disease, for example, then then that's uh, never going to be encoded and therefore it's not available for re retrieval. Right, right. I want to ask you also about uh, you know folks called uh, super agers, and uh, we had we had someone uh, leave us a message, uh, and she uh, apparently has been uh, considered uh, described as a super ager. And ironically, her name is Mary. Uh, we should say not uh, not the Mary you were just referring to, but she's eighty four years old. She called us from Salt Lake City, Utah. Let's listen. Recently, I was concerned about my memory, so I took a three-hour neuropsychologist test on memory and problem-solving functions. I was scored what they call in the business a super-ager. The tester paid me the ultimate compliment at the end. She said she hoped when she was my age, she would have a brain as good as mine. That's Mary from Salt Lake City, Utah. Zaldi, uh, what's a super ager and how does someone uh, get to be as lucky as, as Mary? <laughs> well, good for Mary. Congratulations right, right. to her. Yeah, she's lucky. So, yeah, so cognitive super agers um, is sort of an informal term that uh, people use um, uh, to refer to, to folks who don't seem to have a measurable 
uh, decline in uh, as they get older in terms of the cognitive functions that we've been talking about, attention, executive function, uh, working memory, et cetera. And again, this is uh, typically um, an interplay between genetics uh, and as well as environmental uh, factors, right? So um, we don't know Mary, but I assume that she has uh, lived uh, a pretty healthy life, meaning minimizing, um, you know, your exposure to certain neurotoxins, alcohol being uh, the paramount neurotoxin that we are, that a lot of people are exposed to. Um, perhaps she exercises, perhaps she is uh, very social and engages in, in uh, intellectual mental stimulation, um, and gets a good get a good night's sleep, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, so even someone who's genetically blessed, if they don't do the things that they need to do in order to maintain their brain reserves, they will uh, notice uh, changes that that uh, they will not be able to maintain that. But for someone like Mary, let's say she is genetically genetically blessed in terms of her brain structure and cognition, and then she does the right thing then these are what we call super agers where uh, if you compare them to their baseline, let's say 10, 20, 30 years ago, there is no noticeable change. Hmm. And so w because we're doing so much research and you're doing so much research on this, I'm wondering when you look at the science right now, what what is most exciting to you when you look ahead about what we're learning about the brain and how we can uh, perhaps... Uh, mitigate some of the negative effects of aging on the brain? And, and w w what's exciting to you about this? You know, what's exciting to me, Deborah, is that, you know, the advances that we have in medicine, in, in neuroscience, public advances in public health measures, our rising standard, standards of living and improvements in education and nutrition have really not only lengthened the human lifespan, but also if you compare long-standing studies that, for example, started in the 1940s. Um, and you compare someone, let's say, who was uh, 50 or 70 or 80 year old in the 1960s, to so someone who's that age, the equivalent age now, we actually find that, um, that the debilitating effects of aging are increasingly delayed to later stages mm. of, of, uh, of life. And more than that, um, when they look at these uh, studies that people that, been, that they have people that they follow over decades, what has been found in multiple studies, in, at least in, in the Western hemisphere, is that the incidence of dementia, Alzheimer's disease, actually is going down, hmm. not going up. Again, of course, if you consider the aging population, there's going to be more uh, people with dementia now because uh, we're all living to the age of risk. But if you just look at incidence rates, there's actually less. Well, didn't know that. Uh, we're talking about our brains and what happens as we age. I'm Deborah Becker, in for Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. 
and a search for the truth once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point. I'm Deborah Becker. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about creative solutions to America's care crisis, as so many of us are struggling to get help taking care of our kids or our elderly loved ones. If that sounds like you, it's an episode you're not going to want to miss. So those of you listening on stations that preempt On Point on Fridays, be sure to subscribe to the On Point podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Plus, as a bonus, you'll also get the weekly Jackpod, where On Point news analyst Jack Beatty brings his unique perspective on one topic every week. Tomorrow, Jack's going to be looking into what Donald Trump says he would do if elected to President Biden's climate change measures. That's only in the on Point podcast. This hour on Point, we're talking about aging and our brains and how to think about the ages of President Biden and former President Donald Trump and this expected election face-off between these two men. Our guest is Zaldi Tan. He's a physician and director of the Senior Sinai Health System Memory and Aging Program and the Goldrich Center for Alzheimer's and Memory Disorders. He's also a professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And what I'd like to do uh, at the end of the show here is talk about brain health and how do we maintain it a little bit. Uh, so I wonder, Zelda, you know, we, you were mentioning before the break that we're seeing aging effects delayed. There's actually a decline in the incidence of dementia, which I think is probably heartening for a lot of folks to hear. Uh, but you mentioned uh, also that alcohol is a neurotoxin and uh, can affect people's brains and perhaps have negative effects. Uh, and, and exercise is good for us. But what do we know about things that folks can do to make sure that their brain health is is at least maintained, uh, maybe improved? Absolutely. And I think this is um, um, sort of the, the fallacies that we have no control over our brains. And it's partly because the research in uh, cognitive health and brain health is really lagging behind, um, for example, heart health. Right when we get a um, checkup with our primary doctors, we you know get an e an EKG or an electrocardiogram. Uh, our 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 primary care doctors uh, whip out their stethoscope and listen to our heart and saying you know your heart sounds strong, etc. Because it's because we have decades uh, ahead in 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 cardiovascular research compared to uh, brain health research. But um, lately, we've uh, found that. Um, there's really um, a lot of control we have in terms of our cognitive aging. Um, there's really multiple factors that shape the trajectories of uh, brain aging and um, are what we call modifiers of things like uh, uh, brain resilience, um, you know, things like physical fitness or maintaining uh, a healthy physical activity. We tell people you have to have at least 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity in order for uh, your brain and heart and your other organs to, to remain healthy. Uh, social engagement, 
um, has been found to be really important in terms of maintaining cognitive health. And in sort of the flip side, social isolation uh, is uh, found to be detrimental to um, maintaining brain health. Um, other things like maintaining vascular health, like your blood pressure, for example, midlife blood pressure is one of the um, one of the primary determinants of cognitive uh, health as we get older. Uh, particularly, uncontrolled midlife high blood pressure is known to be a risk for for dementia. Metabolic, uh, you know, diabetes is a risk factor for dementia. So uh, maintaining, uh, you know, uh, good blood sugars and minimizing insulin resistance is important. And then uh, there's also a neuroinflammatory risk. Um, and of course, over all of that is um, is uh, genetics, right? So, you know, you, you tell, there are people who say, I, I smoke, I drink, I don't sleep, I only sleep three hours a day and I'm fine. It's possibly because these people are genetically blessed and have more reserves. Mm -hmm. But if you compare them to their peak, let's say in their 20s or 30s, they still have experienced a decline because they're not living their life appropriately. So again, again, reserve, maintenance, and compensation. Okay. I want to uh, bring in the voices of some more listeners. As, as we said, we got a lot of response uh, to our topic today. And, and first, I want to bring up Opal. Uh, she's from Ann Arbor, Michigan, 75 years old. And she tells us how she's uh, taking care of herself as she's aging. Let's listen. As far as aging, you're going to get older. You can't stop it. So you might as well do it the best that you can. And the way that I do it personally is I do breath work. I learn how to sit still and meditate and be with myself. I know now, which was difficult for me when I was younger, to ask for help. And, you know, you get surrounded by these group of wonderful people that do help you when you ask for help. Also, I want to bring in Sarah. She's from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and she left us a voicemail. And this is an interesting point, so I'll do that. And I'd like you to take both of these up. Her point is about how to exercise your brain when you're older and how society looks at older people. Here's Sarah. What I've seen actually is that I haven't had a decline in IQ, but I have a decline in outlooks for using it. That's due to ageism. There's a condescension and a contempt and the expectation of expendability that are particularly hard to penetrate. So it's hard even to go to a store. It's hard to maintain the involvement in one's profession. Our society is structured to render us invisible and irrelevant. So, Zaldi-Tan, I wonder, what do you say uh, first about opal and meditation and breathing? Do we know anything about how that affects the brain as of yet? And what do you say about about ageism and, and how it affects uh, folks' ability to do some of the things that you say are beneficial for their, for their brains, like using them and, uh, and having social connection? For sure. Um, you know, um, when you meditate and you breathe deeply, um, it's really lowering stress. And when you think about stress, um, what what is stress, right? Stress is um, happens when you feel like you have no control over the uh, the situation and you, you feel that something is going to go wrong. And what happens there is a flight or fight response, right? Your cortisol uh, shoots up. And cortisol obviously, obviously, um, you know, is uh, a, physi a physiologic response that is needed in order to respond to an acute stressor. But chronic cortisol um, elevation because of chronic stress 
um, is not good for you. And this have been multiple studies that have been done um, with with uh, high cortisol levels that it impairs your memory and your ability to think to think and process information, and can be um, a marker of increased risk for dementia if sustained over long periods of time. So meditation, in a sense, really helps. And of course, uh, with the breathing, um, you know, oxygen is so important for our brains. Certainly. You don't need to breathe deeply normally in order to uh, to have enough oxygen for your brain, but your brain is one of the most um, highly metabolic organs, so it requires a lot of oxygen. But one thing worth mentioning is that some people have undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea. When they sleep, they uh, their upper airways, a soft tissue, kind of fall back um, into their airways, and they get um, a decrease in oxygenation, what we call hypoxemia. Uh, uh, multiple times during their sleep, and that is a risk factor for dementia over years. Hmm. Now, shifting to ageism, oh, it's yeah. really unfortunate because we are a society that um, really uh, va va values youth and vitality, um, even amongst our leaders, right? So sometimes I see our leaders come you know, going down, uh, you know, coming uh, like uh, stepping off of the plane and uh, and and, go, uh, and and going down the stairs. Of course, we hope that they don't fall. Older people have more tendency to fall. They have a lot of sensory issues, uh, tactile issues, etc. Is that sign of physical vitality um, as important to us as cognitive vitality? Which one's more important? But going back to ageism, unfortunately, our society does have. Uh, a mild obsession with youth, right? Uh, and that's the, the hard challenge. <laughs> and if you see someone, you know, let's say in the party and there's someone who's older there, uh, you know, our, our natural tendency is not to go to that person, at least some of us. I would, <laughs> you, maybe you would, but some people will be like, oh, maybe it's going to be hard to talk to her. Maybe she, um, you know, we have nothing in common. And that is part of ageism, and that goes into um, hiring practices as well. When you see someone older, you make the assumption that they're not going to be as sharp, they're not going to be as resilient, and not be able to learn new things. That may may not be true, depending on the person. Hmm. Right. So, so I think, how do you think that's playing into this whole conversation about our presidential candidates? Right. I think it's like when you see someone uh, who's uh, you know 77, 80, 81. The, nor the normal uh, tendency for some people is to relate that to what their what their memory or what their own biases are about people that age, right? So they might look back at their grandmother or someone they met in uh, you know when they were younger. The the thing with an important thing to remember, Deborah, is that everyone is different, and there's a lot of vital, active, intelligent competent um, 70, 80 years, 80 year olds, but we ourselves may not have been exposed to them because guess what? They are active, they're hiking, they're, you know, they're, they're doing their thing just like anybody else. And if we consciously or unconsciously avoid them in situations, then we will only be exposed to, to people um, uh, of that age when they fail, right? Uh, they get memory problem, they get lost, we we help them, and then we have this concept. And of course, media doesn't help because uh, media portrays um, older people as impaired, forgetful, um, um, you know, uh, incompetent. So this is really the ageism society is rampant. And again, our obsession um, with youth is is problematic. 
and um, it kind of clouds our vision of or, or our our opinion of what older people are and what they can and cannot do. It's also brought up this idea of perhaps some sort of measurement. Should there be a cognitive test for someone to uh, lead the country? Uh, and, and again, our listeners weighed in on this idea. It's been debated now uh, because of, of what's happening with the presidential candidates. But here's Dennis. Uh, he's a listener from Montana. He's 77 years old. And uh, he talked about some of the things that he does uh, to keep himself fresh, uh, young, <laughs> vital. Uh, and he also talked about this idea of a cognitive test for elected officials. Here's Dennis. I don't walk as fast as I used to. I don't go up the hill as much. I don't run, but I still ride my bike. I work out five days a week. I think that's the key. I read a lot and I try to be involved in the world around me to be concerned about issues, especially with this uh, focus on aging. I, I feel like there's an opportunity to have an intergenerational conversation about age. And it's not for me, about your age, it's about your ability, your desires, your functionality. And so for uh, Nikki Haley to say everybody over 75 should take a test if they want to run for office, I find that offensive. So I wonder, uh, Zaldi Tan, is it possible to to really sort of get a handle on uh, on how someone's aging brain is doing and uh, and their competence, really? Is it possible? Yes. Um, so if one were to test um, uh, their their cognitive abilities uh, uh, and we get a good history, and again, we'll need a collateral informant, right? So mm-hmm. typically people who are very close to them, like uh, their, their wives or their adult children, have they noticed any changes? And then we do formal cognitive testing. Like, um, you know, uh, somebody mentioned earlier, sometimes it takes two to three hours of a neuropsychological test to really get to the bottom of how someone is doing because as we mentioned cognition is more than just memory we have to test executive function language spatial skills uh, attention all of these things need to be tested so it takes a while now should they do it or not Uh, i think uh, uh, the american public would need to decide that because remember uh, dementia, memory problems, is not the only age-related um, uh, diseases that can can affect someone as we get older, right? There's heart disease, there's cancer, there's stroke. I mean, where does it end, right? Um, right. You know, um, for example, a physical fall could could get your get you into trouble more uh, more than uh, the slow decline associated with with cognitive aging. So all of these things uh, need to be put in context. And again, who decides what is wrong is what's right. But if it's, what is there, but can we do it? Yes, we can test someone's cognitive function, but someone has to be willing. And again, what are we entitled to as uh, 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 in terms of uh, confidential uh, medical and, uh, you know, um, uh, illness information? As someone who's trained to to understand aging and measure it and study it, Uh, is there anything uh, that you've seen uh, from either of the candidates that you would consider worrisome uh, based on your your knowledge uh, at this point that we may not, but maybe you might say, maybe n- none of us can spend the time or, or have the access really to look at every elected official, right, in a way that could really make an accurate assessment. But are there things 
that have happened so far that you've observed from either of the candidates that, that you find concerning? I wouldn't say concerning, Deborah. Does it give me pause? It does. I mean, um, you know, because I wonder what, just like anybody else, uh, whether professionally trained or not, is happening what is in the background, right? So before they step into that podium and the mic, where they briefed uh, uh, about, uh, obviously they are, because uh, that's what presidents do. They're briefed about, you know, the ongoing situation, who's involved, the names of the people, but what were they what were they doing when they were briefed of this? I mean, I imagine that it's you know someone is like uh, putting on the lapel mic and someone is fixing their hair, uh, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you know telling them where to where to sit and stand. So I think about divided attention, right, and selective attention. So if you have four or five things going on at the same time, and you are older, and we already said that divided attention gets mm -hmm. compromised as we get older. And then you step in the podium and there's like, you know, 50 reporters there and some of them are and very distracting, uh, bright lights, all of that stuff. Any person can get distracted, right? Okay. Um, uh, and, and, and can mistake words because again, divided attention, so many things going on. And, but of course, someone who's older are, is more likely to, to be compromised in that high, high, highly charged and uh, We've got to cut situation. it there. Okay, Zaldi Tan, physician and director of the Cedar sinai Health System Memory and Aging Program and a professor at UCLA. I'm Deborah Becker, in for Meghna Chakrabarty, and this is On Point.